Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by Ali Kavanagh, the founder at Strike. Ali, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Delighted to be here. Thanks so much. Delighted to have you. Uh, spend the first couple of minutes getting to know you, who you are, and then we'll move into some questions around previous roles, lessons learned, and what you're currently doing. So um, I know you grew up in Straban, and you've spent time in, in Paris, in, in the States, in London. Now you're back in Dublin. Um, people can usually point to one, two, three, or four figures while they're growing up that inspired them or had a massive impact on who they've turned out to be today. Does anyone spring to mind for you? Um, yes, was a couple. Um, actually, the direction that I went down, um, which was working in the tech industry, happened. <laughs> I can pinpoint the moment. Actually, I was I was doing my um, A levels and I was considering going in um, into uh, commerce, actually finance and commerce, and uh, not remotely technical. And I went to a dinner. My uncle. Colin uh, Kavanagh um, uh, took me to a Chamber of Commerce dinner, uh, the, the London Dairy Chamber of Commerce, I think it was called. And I was sitting beside this chap who um, was a very interesting older man. And he turned out to be the uh, chairman of the British Computer Society. And um, so this was back, this was really back before the internet, before any kind of big boom in kind of tech. And he, during that meal, convinced me um, not to go down, not to go into commerce and finance. He said, go into IT. I guarantee you, you will have a job for life. It's going to be the most exciting industry to be in. And um, and lo and behold, I, I did actually, as a, as a result of that conversation. <laughs> and and uh, so that, was that, I suppose, was a pivotal moment. Um, and then my first actual boss in, in the tech industry was a guy called John Hargreaves in England. And um, he took me under kind of his wing um i was in uh, in tech sales uh, in my first kind of tech sales role and he taught me everything you need to know about um yeah uh, relationships um uh, engagement um you know cultivating um you, you know in the sales cycle there's a lot more than just selling you know it's like really uh, like the, the intricacies of it and I, I looked up to him massively he was a fantastic guy to, to, to work for um so they would be two pivotal people in more recent years actually um again i had the same experience with um the last time i think I kind of worked for someone uh, instead of myself was um an irish guy called Manor ryan actually don't know if you know him i'd uh, be well known in the irish um tech circles and sales circles over the last kind of 30 years and he um he taught me uh, and not, it took me up another level of step change in in you know people skills and um, uh, managing in all directions and um, you know how to get the best out of people how to get the best out of yourself and and this was most importantly how to you know get the best out of your customers and and uh, have a, a win win relationship with them which ultimately results in increased engagement increased sales and uh, so that was they're, they're probably three people that may be pivotal in, 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 in me getting to where I am today, which is, you know, in like heavily involved in, in, in like, you know, very, very fast 
growing tech startup, which you know I co-founded with an amazing guy called Charles Dowd. And um, so running that now, and it's a very, very exciting time. Well, shout out to all those three individuals and your co-founder, Charles. One more <coughs> question before we move on to all the good stuff. Um, through a bit of research, I know that you've got one helicopter license, two, you're a fan of Metallica, and three, that you're a father. So what's one thing you like to do outside of work? Uh, outside of those, at the, uh, tennis, I actually start. I, uh, I've taken tennis back up again after seven years off. I met my wife during tennis, actually. I used to play a lot. And um, we had a, um, a daughter who's, who's kind of um, now at the age where, you know, we can, we can actually get her involved in tennis. And that's what we started going back. And I'm getting coached by former Irish number one, Jenny Claffey, who's amazing. A few years ago, she was the number one in the country, professional tennis player. And I'm really enjoying that now. Epic, epic. Um, Strike, which we're going to talk about later in the podcast, is not your first business. You were CEO of North America and co-founder of CI Solutions. That got acquired. Then CEO and co-founder of All Data Systems. That got acquired. They were both three-year ventures. Is there a significance to that? I know some people that I know um, who consider their business career in plays, three years, four years there, three years, four years there. Um, was the aim to kind of roll out a playbook with the aim of being acquired after you hit a certain target or was that just a coincidence? No, and in, in both of those cases, they were probably acquired a little bit too soon. Um, there, there, there wasn't a time frame around them. Um, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a VC clock in there, for instance, you know, where they, they wanted an exit within 36 months or anything like that. Um, it just happened to be circumstance um, that the, uh, the both of them had opportunities for an exit. Um, with um, my view, it actually is not really so much around time, it's about value. Um, like in in a year, uh, we probably built up more value in Strike um, than those two previous companies that you mentioned had in three years. You know, it's 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 it's, it's running much more quickly um, than any company actually I've been with. I think this is the ninth tech company startup I've been with. <clears throat> so I can definitely have the, the fastest um, kind of on, on the ground and out the door. Um, I would say with this, you know, our play, um, it, you know, the, the likelihood is we will be, you know, acquired by one of the bigger payments um, tech companies. Um, and yeah, we don't have a time frame around that. It's just when it makes sense in terms of, you know, um, uh, proper traction, proper value. We wouldn't like someone knocking on our door right now, um, even though you know we've got something very valuable and we probably get you know a nice, a nice exit. But um, the the direction it's going in and the the growth that we're experiencing, we know that um, we'd be way better off holding off for you know mm. a bit longer to get you know really you know a nicer um, yeah, yeah. next step. Well, as we make our way towards all good things about Strike. 2005, you co-founded and were CEO, and I may butcher the name, Pleba, um, world's first mobile banking app. I'm looking at my screen in case you're wondering where I'm looking at the moment. 52,000 services in 32 countries. Um, you noted two lessons learned from this business. One, timing. It's not always good to be first. Uh, you say that the second uh, mouse gets the cheese. And two, do one thing and do it well. Can you speak to both of those lessons learned and how you came to yeah learn those lessons from that business yeah so the, on the timing one i um i believed um 
And actually, when I started that, I was with a, a, a Nova UCD spinoff called Changing Worlds, which was a mo mobile portal uh, company and uh, mobile uh, portal personalization. And uh, I'd seen through um, that um, that people were absolutely going to use their phone for way more. This is remember, this is 2006 pre iPhone. Um, it was very difficult to use the Internet on the phone. People were um, if they were lucky, had a phone that had a Vodafone Live button on it or an O2 active button. And that was the only internet that people knew on their phones. But I really believed that, um, you know, the shift was going to uh, move from the desktop to the mobile. Um, and what I felt people were probably going to do was uh, book things um, from their phone. Mm -hmm. At the time, the only way you could book something on your phone was to phone the number of a, you know, whatever, a hotel or something. <clears throat> but I felt that people would be able to use um, um, clicks on their phone data whatever through a website and so I got together with the chap called Frank Field who's um, um, a, a very senior developer guy he actually leads the blockchain R&D team for the biggest investment bank in the world actually in Fidelity Investments but at, at the time um, we uh, so uh, I, uh, I had this idea um, uh, sorry, actually, we both had the idea. I don't remember whose idea it was, um, but I certainly believe that um, um, it, the booking would be done on the mobile. And so we built a, a user generate, uh, sorry, platform that people could actually put their own content on there, and then invited, um, you know, uh, different companies to come in and 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 uh, make their services available for the mobile. And uh, one of the first companies I approached was Auto Europe, which at the time was, you know, I think the biggest car rental firm in Europe. And I approached them and I said, I think people are going to book the, the, their car rentals um, through mobile internet. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, at the time, mobile internet was kind of really a concept that, you know, people only knew through .mobi. Do you remember .mobi? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, what they encouraged you to do was to buy, a, instead of buying a .com domain, you buy a .mobi. So we had pleba.mobi as well as pleba.com, by the way, but we were pushing pleba.mobi because the emphasis was do use this on your phone, not on your desktop. Yeah. And I, and so I approached Auto Europe and I said, people are going to book uh, car rentals on their phone and not through the desktop. And they said, uh, well, maybe um, we're willing to give it a go. So the first car rental bookings on the mobile were done through pleba. Wow. In, yeah. And, and, and there was, it was basically a fee from uh, Auto Europe. And then I approached um, Ray Nolan at... Hostel world, do you remember them? Mm. Yeah. Yes. And and I said to to him, people are going to book hostels on their phone. They're not going to book it on a desktop. And he said something like, "I think you're smoking crack." They're they're not. You know. <laughs> and uh, he 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 didn't he didn't buy it. And I said, "No, honestly." And I like, "Let me try." And he said, "Okay, well, look, I'll give you an XML feed if you want." So the first ever hostel booking on the mobile was, was done through Pleva as well. And um, anyway, fast forward, we had fifty two thousand different services on there. Um, but we found it very, very difficult to get people to use it. I couldn't even get my parents, my family and friends to use it for three reasons. One is um, because it, um, it was so slow. This is back in, I don't even know if we're 2G, but we're well, only there. The second is um, they were really worried about the costs. Is this going to cost me 10 euro, you know, to, to book because of the data? Oh, of course, yeah. And because it was pre-Wi-Fi, you couldn't connect to Wi-Fi, pre-iPhone. Um, and the third one was, you know, so it was slow and clunky and um, it was just getting people to do something new. I, I knew that they were going to do it, um, but it was very, very difficult. And so Frank and I, you know, we raised funds and family money. We kind of um, 
we ran out of money before everything was fixed by the iPhone. Mm. And if, if, we'd, if we'd had another runway of maybe t- even 10 or 12 months, we probably would have had a native app we would have had on there. And so we would have had, you know, Uber before Uber, you know, bulk before hotels.com before hotels.com or open table before open table. And uh, we before all of these people. Um, and that leads me directly into the second lesson, which is do one thing and do well, one thing, one thing. If we just focused on taxis, you know, maybe we actually, um, you know, would have nailed that vertical. If we just focus on hostels, you know, we've, and if we just focus on restaurant bookings, or actually there are all sorts of other things on there, like massages and you know haircuts and all that kind of, you know, maybe if we just focused on salons, you know, we would have had forest before forest, um, <clears throat> and the point is we were stretched so thin, um, so our our marketing dollars were completely spread super thin uh, to consumers, and and as I said, it was very difficult to convert, so. Um, uh, the lesson I learned there is, is you know, um, focus very, very clearly on doing one thing very well, and that that rings true. You know, is kind of fifteen years later, and then you know, Charles and I in Strike have that daily on our minds. You know, let's because there's so many distractions. People come to us, you know, if not every day, certainly every few days, saying, "Hey, can you, can you, can we use Strike for this? Can you Strike for that?" Like we had um, one of the biggest. <laughs> Um, provider of portaloos you know in europe come to us saying hey can we use strike for so to to take payments to 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 get into our our portaloos because you know because of covid you can't get into kind of restaurants and bars or whatever to go to the loo mm-hmm. they want to put them everywhere and they want to get paid and we're like uh, you know we probably yes of course we could but that's not our business you know which folks really 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 it's narrow that's so why people like that approaching us all the time to um to, to use strike and it's just making the smart decisions the two lessons you learned from from that venture were uh, incredibly uh, impressive and they've obviously stood with you. The first one for me, it took me a while to wrap my head around because I always had the idea of first mover advantage. Um, but I guess if you obviously need early adopters, if that's the case, and if they're not familiar or used to the product, or even if some habit doesn't exist, then that can be very difficult. So I can now fully wrap my head around that part of it. Um you, you, you mentioned Strike, a couple of companies that uh, have trusted you are the likes of Camille, uh, Pygmalion, you've partnered with Bolt, anyone who's not familiar with Bolt, Luke Mackey leads that in Ireland, um, they're essentially at, uh, like the U- Irish Uber. Um, what was it that, uh, what gap did you see this time? Because you're notorious for spotting something before other people can spot something. What was it that you saw with Strike? In general, or mm-hmm. not like my boat, yeah. Um, oh, actually, yeah, so what happened was um, very, very quickly into the first proper lockdown, which is in March 2020, um, I, uh, within a week, I'd stopped carrying cash altogether. And I probably wasn't far off from it anyway because I was using contact as payments a lot, but I completely got rid of all cash. Myself and my wife, we actually st- stopped carrying it. And then within probably a couple of weeks, I actually didn't even carry my cards anymore, my debit card or my credit card, because, you know, every, in my, I have my Revolut card in, in my, I just double yeah, tap. Same. I just pay with my Revolut or, or on my, my watch, I just double tap and pay with my Revolut and Revolut. And, uh, or um, I also have N26 and Bank of Ireland. So all three of them are in my phone. And um, I, I then just also then just took a picture of my driver's license. 
So I had that on my phone and as I, I realized actually the only thing you need to carry is your phone. And um, that, well, that was great. Then after a few weeks, I realized actually there was a few occasions where I actually wanted to give someone money and I couldn't. And um, uh, the, it was the, the Just Eat delivery guy on the Friday nights that we would normally get at takeaway. I'd normally tip them and I was kind of embarrassed. And, and I, you know, the second time this happened, I said, look, I'm really sorry, um, um, I don't carry cash. And he said, it's okay, no one's tipping anymore. Don't worry about it, no one has cash anymore. And this happened a few times and I realized, okay, this is a big thing. Um, a lot of people have been affected by this. And um, I looked into the, you know, in, into Ireland and the UK and the US and I reckon about 60 million people alone um, were affected just by the drop in tips. And, and tips is only kind of, you know, one part of our business, but I, I realized that actually there is a gap for a totally seamless person in person and um, person-to-person payments yeah. um, with someone that you don't know, right? Um, and the point, of, uh, the, the reason I say it's someone you don't know is because you're not going to ask them their, you know, their phone number or an email address or, you know, because there are other apps where you can actually, where if both parties happen to be an account holder, you can get their phone number or email address and send them money. But I, I wanted it to be fast, as fast as, you know, getting cash out of your pocket. I don't want to have to install an app or create an account um, or, or anything in order to tip this person. I want to just you know tap and tip um and and i thought there's got to be a way of doing this and and so i i, I kind of thought of a, a way theoretically of doing it and and that's when i reached out to um you know the leading payments tech expert in ireland and mm-hmm. and right and said you know could we use um you know NFC technology and to do this is there some way that we could trigger the the secure event the payment uh, and move it onto the phone but have it triggered by something that never needs power um you know you know uh, never is is, is, is always going to work doesn't need to be plugged in um is is very small is low cost uh, is low cost enough that we could actually ship out 60 million of them to those people that I was talking about and that they would all you know happily take them and 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 and, amid, and immediately have a secure payment terminal that's locked to them forever without us having to set them up manually and no one had done that before and so anyway so he came back and uh you know I think it was the next day and said you know uh, I think it's possible I think it's patentable and I'll quit my job and join you and within 24 hours, we we're already building the product. And, and, that, and that was Charles Dowd, obviously, in case it wasn't. Mm. Um, and so three months later, we we're actually uh, revenue generating uh, in, our, in a trial scenario, we're actually, you know, which we, 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 we made revenue from. We had a global patent filed in, uh, we filed in New York. Um, the reason we filed it in the US is because um, it's, it's global protection and also mm-hmm. it's scaled. So, so the likes of, PayPal and sum up and all these guys, you know, can't see it you know, for, for a period um, um, while we can, while, while we're out there getting traction. So that's why we filed it in the US and also with a view to, you know, the, you know, the biggest tipping market in the world. Span, yeah. Three final questions for you, Ollie. Uh, third one or third last one is I've noticed that you're hiring uh, sales managers is the role you're hiring for at the moment. There's an article by Harvard Business Review that says the cost of a bad hire is five times the annual salary of that given person oh. and not just make up their salary, but like deals lost because of them being a bad sales manager. 
Um, have you a process for hiring? Like, do you run psychometric tests? Do you run through a defined process? Have a board of people that they get to meet, ask questions? Or after nine startups, I think it was nine you referenced, is it just a good feel? Oh, there's a, we're doing a combination of all of that, actually. Gut feel is really important. And um, uh, the, the tests, actually, one of the platforms that we're using actually does those tests for us. So they actually put them through various different kind of um, uh, attitude and language and skill set mm. tests. Um, um, so that, that helps filter out some of it. Um, what, we're, what we're essentially looking to do is clone our best salesperson. You know, it's kind of, I keep thinking, is this, you know, is this another Gail, you know, um, who's, and she's, you know, head of business development and she's absolutely fantastic. I'm like, all we want to do is like it more like her. She's just so amazing, you know. Um, but, and and then the the kind of the final thing that I have in, in the back of my mind with, with a view to the company growing and people kind of moving up and kind of, you know, having their own teams and everything. And and this also came, I, did you quote, who did you quote there? Was it Harvard? Yes, Harvard Business Review. Yeah, I think I actually saw the same. I saw a, a presentation from them specifically on recruitment, and uh, the one take it was amazing. The one takeaway I had from it was um, uh, when you're hiring, um, a uh, if you hire an A player, mm -hmm. they will in turn hire A players in their team, right? But if you hire a B, if you compromise and hire a B player, they will hire C players on their team. Because they're not going to hire anyone that they feel threatened by, hmm. and and I, I think I was thinking, gosh, that is a like a, a, a massive mistake to make in the beginning yeah, of not yeah. hiring A players because you're absolutely just going to collapse. You're going to go straight to the bottom. So it's very, very at this stage, it's really important to have A players only because they will in turn hire uh, people as good as them. Second last question for you, Ollie, is for our American audience which is growing, um, I'm referencing high school, but for our British and Irish audience, I'm referencing secondary school. If you had the, if you had a magic wand and were the final decision maker on adding a new subject to the curriculum and it was all in your hands, what subject would it be and why? Oh, that that really easy. I mean, I, w I really wish it was in my school and, and it was, so it, not necessarily entrepreneurialism, but certainly got business management. There was nothing I was taught in school about um, starting your own business. And um, I, I really think that would have been fantastically useful, certainly for me anyway, and most people kind of like me. Um, you know, I've learned the hard way, you know, um, I, I've made all the mistakes, <laughs> not all of them probably, but I've, I've made a lot of mistakes um, because I, I never really had any kind of proper um, entrepreneurial training or, or, or running your own business type training. And um, if you can teach people that at an early age, you know, you'll have people starting, you know, people, with their own businesses the age of 15, 16. Mm. Fantastic to see that. Too. There's a couple of cool people on the scene at the moment in Ireland. Uh, Charlie Butler, Luke Ryan, uh, a couple of other people, names are knocking to my head that are in that 18 to 22 year old category working closely with Scale Ireland that have phenomenal ideas. So it's great to see that. Um, my last question for you is, I'd like you to imagine we're talking as if it's the year 2030 and you're looking back on the last decade. You can answer this, personally, professionally, a combination of both. But if you're imagining it's now 2030 and you're looking back, what would you like to be looking back on? Um, I'd, I'd like to be looking back on um, Strike as an organization that, employers, that employs 
you know, a number of thousands of people. I'm not necessarily there at the helm anymore, but um, but seeing that it's created, um, a, you know, it's created a lot of happy livelihoods and has increased um, incomes for tens of millions of people around the world whose um, uh, incomes um, uh, were affected uh, mm. when people stopped carrying cash. So, uh, but also more than that, that if they're not just um, using Stripe for, you know, to, to supplement their income uh, with tips, they're actually using Stripe in, in for um, all of their income, actually, all payments. Um, wow. and, and make, yeah. And so we, we've made it, we just made it so much easier for people to get paid. And it doesn't really matter what that payment is, whether it's, you know, whether it's for a job, whether it's your salary or whether it's just a tip, we've just made it so much easier that everyone wants to use it. And more instant as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, Ollie, thanks for being my guest today. Uh, I wish you continued success going forward to grow the company and uh, whatever may be in the next five to 10 years. But uh, for my, for today, thanks for being my guest and best of luck. Thanks very much, Ryan. If your metro don't trust you, I'm gonna show you Beautiful morning, you're the sun of my morning bed